This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's a beautiful day, and uh, hey, I have a special greeting for those of you who come all the time. And that is, I'm so blessed that I get to take the journey of life and learning and growing our faith together. I am grateful for that every single day, and I hope you are too. Uh, So I just want to say welcome to you. It's always good to see you. And for those of you who are brand new today, I just want to say you're on an adventure. I know it's an adventure to walk into a church building that maybe you've never been in before and to take a chance on sitting with a group of people that you've never seen before. And, and it's an adventure. Um, so I just want to say, welcome to a great adventure. I hope it's worth your while this morning. Over the next few minutes, I'm going to be teaching us. Uh, my name is Ron. I'm on the teaching team here. And every Sunday, somebody from our teaching team will stand here and teach us practical things from the Bible about life. And my prayer for you, all of you who are here for the first time, is that you will hear and you will experience something today that in some way will change your life. So let's jump in. Diva already said we're talking about this concept of being fully alive. Jesus was a master teacher, and Jesus, this whole series, is based around a story that Jesus told. And it's a story based in, in the life of an ancient Israeli shepherd. And we dug into that a little bit last week. And in this story, Jesus makes a statement where he says, I am the good shepherd. And inferred in that is that you and I have the opportunity to be sheep of the good shepherd. And I won't go into it this morning, but I just want to say it as a matter of fact, because it is true, you and I have an amazing privilege in life to choose the shepherd we will follow. And even if you don't intentionally choose a shepherd, you are following a shepherd of some kind. All of us are. And Jesus says, hey, I'm the good shepherd. I give you the opportunity to follow me. And so based out of that, in the middle of that, Jesus makes a very bold statement. And I'm going to pick up on something that Heather, our worship leader, said to us this morning because it's a great picture. If you would jump into your imagination for a minute and, and, and think with me, what would happen if Prince William said, you know what? I'm going to leave the palace. I'm going to leave the royal family for three years. And I'm going to go live in the ghetto of New York City. Every news agency in the world would be all over that. Why are you doing that? That makes no sense. Why would you leave your residence right now in Cambridge? Why would you leave life in Buckingham Palace and all of those beautiful places to go live in a dark and dangerous place where they might kill you? 
And he would say, I have a mission. I have something I want to accomplish. And I could only accomplish it by going and living in the ghetto with the people that I have come to love. But don't you realize they might kill you? It's okay. I'm going anyway. Jesus makes a statement. He left the palace of heaven and he came to live in the place that you and I call earth. And he had a mission. And all heaven said, they might kill you. And he said, I'm going anyway. And did they kill him? Yes, they did. Now, in the middle of the story of Jesus being the good shepherd, he lays out his mission. And here it is in one statement. He said, I have come that they, people, may have life and have it how? To the full. And if you know anything about Jesus, you know this. He would never leave until the mission was accomplished. It's as if Jesus said to the entire inhabitants of the earth, I have come that you may have life and I will not leave until it's made available for every one of you. And so Jesus came to make fully alive possible for all of us even those of us 2,000 years later. But implied in that statement is also something that you and I would intuitively know, and that is if part of our life is dead or partially dead, then we cannot be fully alive. Now, what would cause that to happen? Well, in the middle of this teaching, Jesus makes a very powerful juxtaposition. He takes a principle and he puts a competing principle right next to each other. And let's take a look at how he lays it out. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. There's the first principle. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You have both opposite ends of the spectrum. And Jesus is saying to you and me, not like one of those nasty commercials you've probably heard, be advised. A once in a lifetime offer is coming to the Alameda County Fairgrounds (laughs) where you can buy a spa at the something something and BBQ place, right? And they've been running that thing for eight months in a different place. How could it be a once in a lifetime offer? I don't know. But anyway, Jesus is saying to you and me, hey, be advised. you got to know something about this life, about the shepherd that you might choose. You have to know something about what could be happening because there is a force at work. There is a person. There is a thing. There is something that's at work that is actually a thief. And if you're not aware of it, or even if you accidentally allow it to come into your life, it will steal from you the life that is rightfully yours. You ever had anything stolen from you? 
You know that feeling? Yeah, that was mine. I worked hard, earned the money to buy that thing, whatever it was. And somebody came and they took it from me. You feel violated. Jesus is saying to you and me, he's saying, I have come so that the thief doesn't have to steal what is rightfully yours and kill it. Put that part of your life to death and it can actually work to destroy much of the rest of your life. So it would, I think, be important for us to ask who or what is that thief, right? Yeah. Now, in order to do that, we're going to go back and dig into a story in the Bible that all of you have been exposed to probably in some way or another. Hollywood has tapped into it several times, uh, starting with the classic film, The Ten Commandments, that probably many of you have seen, and then years and years later, but still several years ago, there was the animated film, The Prince of Egypt. They both tapped into the story contained in the ancient Bible manuscript called Exodus that you could find in your Bible today. And this morning, we're going to take sort of a a flyover of the book of Exodus, and we're going to learn some lessons. It's the story of the ancient nation of Israel and the ancient nation of Egypt and how they were related and what God did. So let's sort of go back 2,000 years before Jesus. 2,000 years before Jesus, the nation of Egypt ruled the world. They were the most powerful. They were the world's superpower. And there were pharaohs, and you can go to Egypt today, and you can see the remains of temples. Like if you go to the the complex of Karnak, it's one temple that covers 108 acres. It's a massive temple. Egypt was a powerful temple powerful kingdom. And then there was the nation of Israel or the Jews as they're often known. And at that particular time, every Jew in the world lived inside the borders of the nation of Israel. And they had for quite some time. Well, the Pharaoh who was ruling at that time issued a decree for for reasons that are listed actually in that manuscript of Exodus. But he issues this decree that on that day immediately and irrevocably made every single Jew inside the borders of the nation of Egypt a slave. Many were actually conscripted by the Egyptian government. You know that temple that had 108 acres? Well, guess what? They got conscripted to start building great government projects. Tons of them. Um, Treasure cities where the government stored its extra treasure. Well, these people were made to do the manual labor to actually build all those great Egyptian sites. And others were sold on the open market to private households. But on that day, every single Israelite, every single Jew became a slave. And it was that way for decades. It was actually that way for centuries. 
Like every other form of slavery, it was brutal. It was ugly. There was lots of abuse. There was lots of personhood violation. There was lots of violence. It was as ugly as you could imagine. And the Israelites began to pray. And so, God calls a man by the name of Moses, and most of you have heard that name, in the famous um, encounter at the burning bush. Moses sees a bush. Moses is living in Midian, which is um, maybe six to eight days journey from the border of Egypt. And he's a shepherd and he sees a bush and the bush is on fire and it doesn't burn up. And Moses goes to the bush and a, vo- and a, and a voice comes out of the bush that says, uh, Moses, this is God. As you might guess, that got his attention as it would yours. And in this encounter, as God is giving Moses the task of going down and delivering the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt, leading them out of Israel, forming them into their own nation, and then taking them to a land he has reserved for them, God is calling Moses on that journey This is exactly what God says. Call together all the elders of Israel and tell them, God has appeared to me. And he told me, and this is where Moses quotes what God says. God says, I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from their oppression in Egypt, and I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now let's start with the last statement. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you know what that was? That was God's description of what fully alive looks like. Doesn't that sound like that would be fully alive? Yeah, for these people it was like, oh, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. And God says, I am going to lead you. Now encapsulated in that one scripture is an amazing formula of sorts that God has always used with people throughout history. And it's a formula that God wants to use in your life. And it can and will revolutionize your life and mine as we learn to embrace it and believe it. They're the words that are in yellow there, and I've separated them out. God said, I see. I have promised. I will lead. In their case, God said, I see how the Egyptians are treating you. In their case, he said, I have promised to rescue you. And in their case, he said, I will lead you out. God alone knows what stands between you and being fully alive. If you're like me, my life is full, but often I don't feel fully alive. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, that's uh, 21st century America. That's pretty much where we live. Now, God knows in my own life what is standing between me and being fully alive. And when I talk to him about it, God says to me, Ron, I see. In other words, Ron, you have my full attention. See. And then God says, I have promised. 
In other words, I'm going to take some action. I'm not just going to sit here and go, oh, golly, Ron, that's really too bad. You've got my sympathy. No, God says, I have a promise. I have something that I will do. I'm going to take action in your life. And then God follows that up with this thing, I will lead. In other words, I have a plan and you have a job. I will lead. It's my job to come up with a plan and it's my job to lead, but it's yours to follow. Because if I lead and you don't follow, you don't get the adventure and you don't get to where you're going. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. So I want us to read this out loud, just these three statements, because I want you to hear them as a promise from God, and I want you to be able to build your life around this, because these are the same three things that God will always say to anyone who turns to him. So let's read them together. Ready? I see... I have promised, I will lead. Let's read it again. I see, I have promised, and I will lead. So how does that work out? Let's see how it goes with this group of people. So Moses goes down to Egypt, walks up to Pharaoh and says, as you've seen in the movies, God says, let my people what? And Pharaoh said, sure, take them. No, that's not what he said. He said, who is God that I should listen to him? Now listen, friend, that's probably not something you want to say. Because God said, okay, and you have heard at least portions of the story where God uh, brought 10 massive plagues on the country of Egypt. And you might hear newscasters say, oh my goodness, You know, it's a plague of biblical proportions. They're referring to this story, all right? All kinds of things. And actually, God brought a plague around the 10 major gods that the Egyptians worshipped, demonstrating his power over each of their favorite gods. And in the end, Moses finally said, you know, you ever play the game uncle, right? Moses finally said, uncle with God, right? And said, okay, you can take the people and go. And that's where we'll pick up the story. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory. Now listen, take your eyes away from the screen for a minute and imagine some geography with me, okay? They're down in the nation of Egypt. They want to go up over and, and mostly north, but I'm sorry, yeah, I'll do it your way, north and a little bit east, all right, Um, to the nation of Israel. And there's a tiny neck of land between the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, and that's where the only road went, okay? And it very clearly says that when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them on that road. Now imagine Moses. Moses has a tough job. I am here to lead you out, okay? And so follow me. And they all follow him and he doesn't go on the road. He starts cutting pretty much straight east. Now, I don't know how many of those people knew their geography, but if you're leading people out, you don't take them down a cul-de-sac. That's not a good way to get out, right? He's leading them straight up to, and notice what it says, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. 
Wow. Just put a pin in it right there. I want you and me to know that one of the big challenges we have in following the good shepherd is, so this is where we are, and there's where we want to be, and our vision is straight line. Get me there as fast as you can and get me there as conveniently as you can and get me there with, with, with a direct shot. I can tell you in virtually all of my life, God has rarely, if ever, led me from where I was to where I needed to be in a straight line. Now, God has his reasons. And oftentimes, we're not savvy enough to even perceive those reasons. And oftentimes, it's not until we actually get to where we're going and we look back that we go, oh, I get it now. And even sometimes then we don't get it. But God always has his reasons. And in this case, he actually tells us what his reason was. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. How well he knew these people. So God says, if I take them on the main road, they're gonna, the first people they're going to run into is the Philistines. And the Philistines have giants. We know that from later on. And they have massive armies. And these are people who have been only slaves for generations. They will have no clue how to go to war. And they'll just turn around and go back. So God says, I need to do something that will build their faith and their trust in me. So God says, I'm going to lead them straight into the Red Sea. Here's what I want you to notice. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Can I just share with you, when you follow the good shepherd, set your compass on the roundabout way. Fair enough? Because that's what it will be. God led them on a roundabout way. <clears throat> so now they're up to the Red Sea and they realize, oh, this is a cul-de-sac. By the way, what's another name for cul-de-sac? Dead end. You got the idea? That's exactly what they thought. This, my friends, is a dead end. Because notice what happens next. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army and all of his horses and his chariots and his charioteers and his troops. And the Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore. This does not look good. We got the Red Sea up here. We got the Egyptians behind us. And there is no way out. There are no roads over here, friends. Notice it says God led them through the wilderness. Wilderness. What's the shorter word in wilderness? Wild, right? There are no roads here. There's no escape. And they've got Pharaoh and his army behind them and the Red Sea in front of them. Wow. It's time for us to learn a principle, okay? And the principle is this. The outcome is never determined by our challenges. You and I can be sure that on the road between where we are and fullness of life, there will always be challenges. But the outcome is never determined by our challenges, but rather by our response to the challenges. Thank you, Foster.
Oh, it's even warm. It will be determined by our response. So let's see how the people respond. The people of Israel panic. That's not a good one. Okay? They panicked when they saw the Egyptians. And here's what they said. Why did you make us leave Egypt? Hello. Was, was that all rainbows and unicorns back there? No. But they reasoned this way. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Now, can I tell you that in any attempt, that any choice that you make to follow the good shepherd, there will be times when it seems like this makes no sense. And you will theorize in your life. You will theorize that what you had before is better than what you have now. And I'll just say it like this. It's often easier to normalize being partially dead than it is to take the risks required to experience being fully alive. It's far easier just to normalize where we were. I also want us to know this. The real thief wasn't Pharaoh. Wasn't his army. Was their failure to trust. We start talking about what's the real thief. Some of you are going to say, I'm married to it. <laughs> Some of you are going to say, I'm raising it. <laughs> this is why I can't be fully alive. Some of you are going to say, I commute to it. Some of you are going to say, I'm enrolled in it and taking courses from it right now. Some of you are going to say, I'm addicted to it. Now listen, there's some truth in all of that, maybe. But the truth is, Jesus would say, no, 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 I didn't come. My juxtaposition wasn't the thieves come to kill and destroy and steal. The thief. Huh. There is a thief. Underneath all of those things, there is a principle or a force at work. And here it is. It's up there. They, they were failing and panicking at this moment because of their failure to trust God. Now, this becomes even more unbelievable when we see how God led them. Take a look at this. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. There was a cloud pillar that stood apart from all the other clouds. And at night with a pillar of fire. And the cool thing was when, when the pillar, when it raised up, everybody knew, pack your stuff. We're getting ready to go. And they would follow the pillar, and when it squatted, they all knew, okay, we're going to camp here. Unpack your stuff, find a place to set up your tent. This is how God led them. Friends, they had a visible presence of God. Even when they got to the Red Sea, there was the pillar of cloud. And at night, there was the pillar of fire. And an amazing thing happened when Pharaoh and his army came. The Bible says that the pillar 
raised and it went to the backside of the camp of Israel and it created a physical barrier where Pharaoh and his army could not see or get to the Israelite nation. And yet, they panicked. And they said, let's go back to Egypt. Huh. All they had to do was trust the pillar and the cloud. And if you know the story or you've seen the movie, what did God do? God parted the Red Sea. That's never happened before in history. Wouldn't you love to walk through an ocean on the bottom? It'd be awesome. A wall of water here, a wall of water here. You're looking at the sky up there and you're dancing as you go through <laughs> on dry ground. It's like he doesn't get anybody. You want to be fully alive? Try that. But here's the amazing thing. You would think they would have learned their lesson. And yet, if you fast forward, at the Red Sea, they panicked because of Pharaoh's army and they threatened to go back to Egypt. At Merah, they panicked because the water was bitter. We don't like the water. Hello. And so God sweetened the water for them. But they still threatened to go back to Egypt. At Elam, they were short on food and they threatened to go back to Egypt and God provided free food for them every day in a form called manna. The food appeared on the ground in front of their house. <laughs> there was no Safeway, no need for Safeway. It was on your front yard. You got it every day. But they panicked, said we should go back to Egypt where we had leeks and onions and garlic and we ate our fill. Never mind that you earned that with brutal and harsh treatment. At Rephidim, they ran out of water. God brought water out of a rock. At Mount, si at Mount Sinai, they built a golden calf. And I don't have time to tell you that whole story. But they decided they wanted to abandon God, the God of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And they decided they wanted a real God they could see. Hello? Wow. Now get this. That isn't even all the times. But do you realize the first five of those happened in the first year? Just about once every two months, they were ready to pack up and go back to Egypt. Wow. Finally, when they get up to the border of this land that God has promised to them, you know what they say to Moses? We don't care if the cloud goes in. If it goes into the promised land, it'll go by itself because we're not going. And we don't care if the pillar of fire goes into the promised land because if it does, it's going to go by itself because we're not going. We are going to put together, a, a, choose a new leader and we are going to go back to Egypt and we're going to go back into slavery. Didn't I tell you sometimes when we normalize our dysfunctional behavior, it gives us reason to then be complacent with it. Here's what they said. If only we had died in Egypt. Wouldn't it have been better for us to go back to Egypt? Well, we should choose a leader and just go back. 
You know, the sad thing is, I'll fast forward to the very end of that story. Those people never, ever got to experience fully alive, ever. They gave it away. Because they wouldn't take the risks that are required to get there, even though God was personally leading them. You fast forward about 500 years, and the nation of Israel has a king who's a wonderful king, and he writes a song. He writes lyrics to a song. And he picks up on this story that, that, that 1,500 years later, Jesus would actually tell about the good shepherd. And 1,500 years prior, this king picks up on that story and writes a song with fascinating lyrics. Listen. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Listen to how he describes being fully alive. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. And he goes on through that song. Jesus is saying to you and to me, I see, I have promised, I will lead. That's not a general promise that he makes to humankind. It's a personal promise he makes to every one of us. I see what is standing between you and being fully alive. I have promised to take action and I will lead and I invite you to follow. All you and I have to do is have enough faith to follow. All we have to do is trust enough to take the next step. I want to talk with you for just a minute. How does the shepherd lead sheep? I'm about ready to lay something really brilliant on you. Are you ready? How does the shepherd lead sheep? One step at a time. Isn't that brilliant? It's true. The sheep know when the shepherd takes a step, what do sheep do? take a step. And as long as they're following the shepherd, they literally never have to worry about where they are. Even as the king wrote, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil. Why? Because you are with me. And the sheep knows as long as they are with the shepherd, they are safe. The wolf cannot get to them. They will, the shepherd will lead them to good grass. The shepherd will lead them to fresh water. And like we said last week, if you're a sheep, it's a simple life. I ate some good grass today. I drank some good water and the wolf didn't eat me. I'm good. Yeah. Oh, that you and I could have that kind of faith.
and that kind of trust. You know, if what you're struggling with is your marriage, here's what I want you to hear. The same God who made that promise to the ancient nation of Israel is saying to you today, I see your marriage. I have promised to heal your marriage and your life. And I will lead you. And you know something? He's talking to you right now. In here. See, are you kidding me? God talks to me? Yes, he does. I'm very sure that God is talking. The question is, are you listening? He talks to all of us. You are his child. The scripture Bible teaches us that in page after page. What kind of father doesn't talk to his kids? You see, on the inside, God may already have been saying to you, you need to go see a counselor. But that doesn't sound like fun to you. You would prefer the direct route, which is change my spouse. I'm good. My friend, God is going to lead you on a roundabout way. Yes. That class you're taking at college that's challenging you to your core, God may already be saying to you, go offer to study with that student. It'll help you and probably help them. The addiction that is stealing your life from you, God is probably already saying, go to this treatment center. Go to AA. Go to NA. Go to a counselor. See, God's already talking. It's just time for us to listen. So as we close, I want to offer a prayer. And I I just want to start the prayer by saying God knows what is standing between you and fullness of life. And he never looks at you and says, best of luck, I hope you figure that out. God says what? I see, I have promised, I will lead. Let's pray. God, my friends and I are here today. And you have laid on us a wonderful, wonderful thing. The reassurance that you see us. We have your full attention. And when we open up and talk to you about it, that we never have to wonder if you hear. You are saying to us, I see. God, would you give us faith to actually trust that? You have said, I have promised. And over and over again in so many ways, you are telling us, I have promised to deliver you from whatever is holding you back and holding you captive. I have come to set you free. Would you help us to believe that you will take action in our lives? And then you have said to us, I will lead. God, would you help us to have faith to take 
the next step, to pick up the phone and call a counselor, to pick up our phone and send a text message to a fellow student, to pick up the phone or whatever it takes, go online and register for whatever treatment program, to, to, to do whatever you are saying to us to do so that we don't end up normalizing where we are and missing out on where we could be. Would you guide us in that together this week, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.